Zone with Pete McCarthy. Still only one New York team has made it to the World Series this decade. That's the New York Mets. The Yankees knocked out last night by the Boston Red Sox in Game 4 of the ALDS. No baseball today, no baseball tomorrow, uh, but uh, there'll be plenty to keep us busy here. We'll have Bobby Valentine on the show tonight, as well as Mike Puma covering the Mets uh, for the New York Post. As uh, Today, an interesting day uh, as far as the Mets general manager search is concerned. A lot of things we've been saying, hey, the Mets got to go out and get these kinds of guys. Well, reportedly, uh, some key interviews got by the Mets, uh, as well the latest from Puma coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. We'll mix in your calls, 800-321-0710. Again, 800-321-0710. Well, last night, uh, the Yankees, the Red Sox, Game 4, uh, we talked about it going in. That was a game that the Yankees could not lose with CC Sabathia on the mound. And they lost it with Sabathia on the mound. CC Sabathia, your you know, number four starter, cannot decide your season. Not when you have as talented a bullpen as the Yankees do and all of the options that they have. But Aaron Boone allowed the Yankees season to be decided by Sabathia. And that ultimately uh, is what dooms the Yankees because the bullpen did a nice job. Zach Britton, yes, he did give up a home run, but otherwise the bullpen put up zeros all night against the Red Sox. And the other thing the Yankees were unable to do, and they were unable to do this all series, just offensively really come through, but to really take advantage of the weakness of these Red Sox, which is you know, those middle innings. And when last night, you get Porcello out of the game finally, and then you're unable to come through against the Ryan Braziers of the world. Uh, that's what kills you. Those are the innings that you got to be able to take advantage of. And I understand Brazier had a good ERA over the course of this season, but that is the weakness of this Red Sox team. When Matt Barnes who struggled so much down the stretch, comes in to throw. That sixth inning, those innings got a score. And the Yankees didn't do anything there. Uh, Chris Sale came in in the eighth, shut him down, one, two, three. I didn't love that move at the time by Alex Cora, but it, it paid off in a big way. And then came the sweat for Boston. And, and imagine that for the Red Sox pre-2004. If they were one inning away from shutting down the Yankees, moving on to the ALCS, and... They have it all set up. Craig Kimbrell is their guy. You are either going to win the game with Craig Kimbrell on the mound or lose the game with Craig Kimbrell on the mound. There's nobody else to go to in that situation. And imagine pre-2004 what that would have been like for the Red Sox. It felt that way anyway, didn't it? It felt like Craig Kimbrell's going to blow this? He can't throw a strike right now. And the whole Bronx started to come to life. And it was at that moment, because I had been thinking the Yankees are going to win this series, uh, and just been looking at it objectively over the course of this week. But it was in that moment that the the Mets hat started to find itself on my head again, and I'm like, I I can't bear to see this. I I don't want to see the Yankees win. I can't deal with it. All those shots into the crowd and the Yankee fans going nuts and starting to pound their chest and feel like it was again their their gift that 
this is going to happen, that, that God would ordain that the Yankees must win playoff series and uh, do it in these ways. That's what it started to feel like in the Bronx as Craig Kimbrell was unable to throw a strike and Aaron Judge is reaching base and eventually Neil Walker gets hit by the pitch. A run comes in. The Yankees are one hit away from tying the game. And it's all those all those flashbacks. You know, the Mets fan that I feel then. And as a Red Sox fan, I, I couldn't imagine because it's so much more personal for you. So many of those losses are at your expense. But it's not 2003 anymore. It's not uh, pre-Red Sox uh, World Series. And Kimbrell did get the outs that he needed. A key strikeout of Giancarlo Stanton among them. And the Red Sox, they hold on. They beat the Yanks and. Oh, what could have been a ho-hum loss, I think, for Yankees fans. I know it's tough to lose to the Red Sox, but to get your hopes up like that in the ninth inning where you feel like, oh, wow, the Yankees are going to win this game, and then, boom, it's ripped away from you. It stings. It's more of a gut punch than you would have thought. Especially when you hear the Red Sox playing New York, New York, in the clubhouse following the game and dripping champagne on each other uh, there at Yankee Stadium. That becomes a real gut punch. And it's always going to hurt to lose to the Red Sox, but then how it developed and to go from, ah, we're going to lose, to they rally up your hopes and you think they're going to do it, and then they don't, (laughs) and it's over. And Gary Sanchez hits uh, a 600-foot high fly ball uh, that ends up, only being to the warning track, and that's how you know essentially your your season ends. That was the last real chance for the Yankees last night. Mm. That'll stink, and it'll stink. But that's what the Yankee fans wanted. That's what they wanted coming in to the series. That's what they wanted after they beat the A's. They wanted it. And they got it, a 108-win team that has serious weaknesses. And Alex Cora did a great job, a phenomenal job in the series. And you do have to consider, it is interesting, and we always talk a lot of Mets here, but thinking about how that merry-go-round was played this offseason as far as the managers and the first-year managers that were hired. And guess what? The pitching coach that hadn't been involved in the day-to-day decisions and truly managing a game really had a hard time in the National League with things as simple as double switches for at least the first half of the season. And there was a long learning process. I think Mickey Calloway managing a playoff game would be in over his head based on what we saw over the course of the regular season. It's a different pressure. It's a different game. They're different decisions and a lot more decisions that have to be made. Aaron Boone, who did a good enough job over the course of the regular season, handling the Yankees, getting them to 100 victories, he, in the playoffs, was in over his head and was not able to respond in the big moments. A guy who had never been in a dugout in a coaching capacity before. Went from the broadcast booth after being a player to being in the decision-making spot. 
And no matter how much you train these guys from the front office, it's different when you're sitting there in the dugout and you have to make the decisions in real time. There's nobody texting you during the game telling you what to do. And Aaron Boone made the same mistake two consecutive games, leaving a starting pitcher in too long. And then Alex Cora, well, he's a first-year manager. Why did he rise to the occasion and every single decision that he made seemed to pay off? And he was able to do it when it was tougher, where they don't have a bridge to Craig Kimbrell, where their pitching wasn't nearly as good as the Yankees. Alex Cora had to hit on all of those decisions where you get stuck with a pitcher you don't trust in a key spot. And the Red Sox were mostly able to avoid those situations. They at the very least minimized it and minimized the impact of the Yankee bullpen. Well, one advantage Alex Cora has on guys like Callaway and Boone, he's actually in a dugout. He's a bench coach at the Houston Astros. He didn't have to make the decisions himself, but he was active in that process. This is not new to him. This is not a game that starts to speed up on you. And when teams are looking to hire managers, yeah, you want to hire someone without experience, so be it. But it certainly pays off to have a guy who has been around these decisions and know what goes into it, especially when you get to the postseason. And there's so much of it on the manager. You, My first instinct is to say it's unfair that we all point to the managers after a game like last night, but it's the difference in a lot of these games. The starting pitchers don't go as deep. You have to make more pitching changes. You have to pinch hit a lot more than you ever would in a regular season game. You're using your entire roster. It's not like managing in the regular season where you have to give guys some days off. You're not going to pitch relievers every single day. You want your starters going deeper into game. And you are always to some degree managing for tomorrow knowing that there's another game coming. You don't do that in the postseason. See, I think you saw the lack of experience be a big factor in the dugouts. And it's not just being a manager, but being around it. Because Alex Cora, he he did a phenomenal job in this series. You like his edge, you like his fire, you like the way he handles that. uh, But the moves that he made, they worked. And he did more with less to beat Aaron Boone and the Yankees last night. So... Careful what you wish for. And baseball season is now done in New York. Football season is almost done in New York. Are the Jets our best chance to have something fun here? Are we counting down to Knicks season? Panic City. Yeah. Mark Wiener would say it's hockey season, but that doesn't start till about Christmas. Both teams stink. No, it's not. <laughs> okay. Producer Marcus chimed in on hockey in the area. So here we are. Baseball's done. The hot stove begins in New York. And, you know, we, we hope that the Giants can live another week uh, tomorrow as their season is essentially on the line against the Eagles. The only reason you'd say it wasn't is they could drop to one in five is because that division is so terrible. Uh, But a lot to get into here. We'll get uh, some of Bobby Valentine's thoughts on last night's game, the the postseason overall, some trends in the game that he sees from the dugout. 
Uh, they'll be coming up at 635. Terrific managerial mind. And, of course, uh, managed the Mets to the World Series back in 2000. And then Mike Puma covers the Mets for the New York Post. to be with us at 705. Give us the latest on the Mets manager, uh, general manager hunt and some interesting names being added to the mix now for the Mets. And uh, I think uh, some exciting names, which is uh, a, a nice turn from what had been in underwhelming search as far as what we publicly know uh, over the first few weeks here. Uh, we'll take some calls as well. 800-321-0710. Again, 800-321-0710. It's the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710-WOR. 710-WOR. You're in the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. Right, Yankees lose last night, 800-321-0710, the number. Well, Bobby Valentine, longtime MLB manager for Mets Skipper, coming up uh, at 635. And really one of the innovative minds uh, in baseball years ago. And now it feels like the game has changed so much, even since Bobby's last year managing in 2012. We'll get some of his thoughts on uh, how... Things have changed, especially in the postseason, where you're not looking to get seven innings from your starter anymore, and it seems to be, forget about five and dive. It's like, get around the order once or twice and uh, get a guy out of a game. So we'll have uh, that coming up. Uh, as far as John Carlos Stanton goes, boy, he's getting the A-Rod treatment right now. As a guy who can put up some numbers and has a ton of power, but it's clear... Those who watch him every day, and I didn't get a chance to watch him all the time, but watch a lot of him this season, you don't have confidence he's going to come up big in, in the key spot. And I felt that way yesterday. I was thinking, man, ninth inning, Kimbrell's coming in, Stanton's up there. Boy, it's going to set up. He's going to make the last out, and he's never going to hear the end of it. And it actually set up worse that the two batters in front of him get on base, and then Stanton has a terrible at bat where he's clearly guessing, and he takes a strike, and then he misses the second pitch by a foot and a half, and uh, all of a sudden you know, he's striking out relatively easily, and the Yankees, all of that, juice that they had it didn't totally diminish but he was there in a huge spot for them and I just think he's the type of player that on paper is terrific and more than on paper there is value to having a guy like Stanton someone who changes the game with one swing uh, not only can hit a home run but he's gonna hit 500 feet and just decimate a baseball does it count as extra runs no but I, I do think that it, it shakes up a pitcher if you're allowing that kind of home run uh, but for Stanton he, he kind of has one approach right he's kind of got one way to beat you and that's with the the homer and, and this is uh, something that he has trended towards as the season has gone along in Miami you know, there were times where he'd drive one in the gap and where he hit for a little bit more of an average. But as he becomes a power-only kind of bat, as he ages a little bit, and, and maybe the temptation of right field at Yankee Stadium is a part of that, you do lose a little something in that kind of spot. And listen, if Stan can hit the three-run homer and tie the game, that's great. But with nobody out, you're not necessarily looking for that. You want to see him keep, the, keep it moving. Keep it rolling. Keep the rally going. Get another guy on base. Get the tying run on base and leave it to the next guy. And I think 
you need to have a balance. We've talked about this with the Mets. I, I thought last year they went too far to just having homer or bust guys. And this year, as the season went along, and especially Jeff McNeil came up, they had different ways to score. They still had guys like Jay Bruce and Todd Frazier who were power first. That's what they bring to the table. You have someone like Michael Conforto who started to hit like he's capable of over the second half of the year, and his power could certainly play, but he could beat you in a couple of different ways. And I think with the Yankees last night, I think their balance is fine. Uh, people are saying, well, they got to strike out less. They've got to find other ways to score. I think their balance is okay, but the part of the lineup that came up with runners on, you didn't need Stanton to go yard there. You needed him to get on base. You didn't need Gary Sanchez to try to hit the game-winning home run. You needed Gary Sanchez to get the base hit that's going to tie the game. And w- what I see is it's just approach. You know, those are two players that had the ability to leave the ballpark, and that's great, and that's something that pays off a lot. But when you get into those highest delivered situations, you're up against one of the tougher pitchers in baseball and Craig Kimbrell, that's where you got to have that, that next gear, right, where you're gearing down instead of up. Instead of just trying to run into one, you need to get base hit. And let's say if it's two out, nobody on, and you're down one, two, whatever, swing for the fences. Or if you're down one, swing for the fences. Try to tie the game. I get that. That's cool. And that's where those guys could be a weapon. But when you have the runners on base and you have some momentum going and the stadium's alive and Kimbrell's a little shooken up, he was shaken up last night, that's when you want to have another way to approach things. And I think for Stanton and Sanchez to some degree last night, they didn't have that to go to. And it cost the Yankees last night. There are other bats you'd rather have up in that spot. You're not going to pinch hit. Those are your guys. But you'd like them to have another way that they could beat an opponent. And Stan's capable of it. We've seen him do it in Miami. He wasn't just a home run hitter. That's what we all remember. He could hit for average there, too. It's like Ryan Howard back in the day. He used to hit 300. He was an MVP. He was phenomenal. And then he became more of a one-dimensional homer guy as time went uh, um, went along. And that's where you'd like to see, you know, some of those Yankee options have more options. So I don't think they necessarily have to change the personnel. I, I really just think it's approach uh, with some of these teams and some of these players and understand, hey, what's the situation asking you to do? And it's never bunt, but sometimes it is. You know, cut it down a little bit, make sure you put the ball in play and make something happen. Uh, let's go to George in Fresh Meadows. George, what's going on tonight? Hey, how are you? Good. Um, about a month and a half ago, I called and gave you my five points as to what I wanted to see the Mets do in the offseason. You totally disagreed on two of them, which is okay. Uh, I just want to mention them again. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I, I would love to see Daniel Murphy at first base. He would immediately be our best hitter in the lineup. I'm still a big hitter. no on that, but okay, yeah. And my second thing was, and you disagreed at the time, mm-hmm. was that I didn't want Mickey Cavalry back as manager because I thought he still was raw, didn't have the experience. And you, what you said earlier today is exactly what I was saying, basically, that, um, you know, in the playoffs, let's say hypothetically the Mets make the playoffs next year, I don't want our manager to be learning on the job. You know, he, him in high-pressure situations, I can see him making crucial mistakes, and we don't need the manager to, be, to cost us the game like, like, um, like the Yankees manager did. But th- this is the key. Having a whole year under his belt, Mickey Cowell would be in a far better position to handle those spots, say, next year. I I thought we saw growth in him over the course of the year. 
We did. We did. I just, I just feel a lot more comfortable if we're going to, you know, have a team, if we hire a GM, make yeah. the right move, hire, uh, get, improve our team. We have some young guys already who are, uh, we're building upon. Maybe we resign the ground. If we somehow get to the playoffs next year, you know, I, I just, as a Mets fan, a diehard Mets fan, I would feel a lot better if I had a proven, seasoned uh, manager, like you were saying, like mm-hmm. Cora, who at least had one year as a bench coach, mm-hmm. and uh, as opposed to Mickey, um, like a Wally Backman or uh, Girardi, somebody who's got, you know, a lot more experience who I'm not going to worry about. Yeah, and, and I get that when you get into the postseason. But I do think that Mickey Callaway's experience this past year, and let's say they do make the playoffs next year, another 162 games that he's managing will put him in a far better place to be able to handle the postseason. I understand the postseason would be a totally different animal, uh, but that's that's part of it. And you got to you know grow with your manager uh, a bit. Uh, is it a little uncomfortable when you you don't know exactly how a guy's going to respond? Sure, but if you think Mickey Callaway is the the best part of the future for this team, and I think he can be, um, then that's that's what I look look at. I'm not going to punish him continually for how he managed April through June because I don't think he's that manager anymore. He learned from that and evolved and got better at handling double switches and the moves that you have to within a game. Um, but Mickey could be in trouble anyway because depending on who the next general manager is, if they don't see eye to eye with Mickey Callaway, he's not being around. So everything's still in play as far as the Mets are concerned. And we will be chatting with Mike Puma of the New York Post at 7.05 and get the latest on the Mets uh, general manager search here. Puma's been all over that. Uh, so uh, some updates from today, which we will get to. And when we come back, Bobby Valentine, uh, longtime big league manager, brought the Mets to the World Series in 2000. We'll get some of his thoughts on last night, some trends we see in the postseason, and much more. It's the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. 710 WOR, putting you back into the sports zone. With Pete McCarthy. The playoffs roll on in Major League Baseball. They will do so without the Yankees now, as it'll be Red Sox, Astros, and the ALCS, Dodgers, Brewers in the NLCS uh, starting up on Friday. And we have the pleasure to be joined right now by longtime big league manager, former manager of the New York Mets, uh, Bobby Valentine, with us. And uh, Bobby, I'm just curious. How much can you appreciate the pressure that these managers feel as everyone's putting Aaron Boone under the uh, microscope today? Well, that's what happens, I guess, when you're at the head of the class. You know, everybody's throwing their paper planes in your direction. But, um, you know, Aaron had a very nice season this year. And, you know, what could have and should have and would have happened uh, is all for the second guessing. How different is it, though, managing in the regular season and and handling you know juggling what you have to there versus uh, when you get to the postseason as a manager it feels like you have to make a lot more moves and everything is under so much more of a microscope well you're capable of making moves because by the time you get to the playoffs you know your team really well and you should know the opposition really well also um you know most of the time it's the things that you don't do that you regret when it's all over. And I think um, Aaron Boom right now is um, looking at a few of those things that he didn't do, and I'm sure he's wishing he did. Uh, let me ask you this. When you first became a manager in 1985, 
Could you imagine having managed in the postseason, say that October? Would you have been ready for that? No, I don't think I would have been ready for that. I I thought I knew how to manage and thought I knew everything when I was 35. And by the time I was 38, I realized how much I didn't know when I was 35. So it is a definite learning experience. What What are some of the things specifically that you remember having to to learn in those early years? And and they said, don't take weeks to learn, but take years. Well, I think uh, I think how much emphasis you put on winning uh, when you're young and you think that the win is the ultimate conversation where, in fact, the play and the process is the ultimate conversation. And and uh, that that becomes uh, hard to understand and you have to experience because you can't teach that kind of experience. Uh, and I think, you know, dealing with some of the umpires in those days, umpires and managers had a, a different type of relationship. And I think um, going in, I just thought that uh, yelling and screaming was the way to do it. And by the time, um, you know, I got a little older, maybe even into my second job, I realized that um, you saved the yelling for for special days. And we're talking again with Bobby Valentine. What's the most memorable special day that you had? Oh, you know, my special <laughs> days were all the first, uh, so I wish there was the most memorable. Of course, you know, the memorable games and memorable, memorable events, of course, were, you know, World Series here, World Series in Japan, uh, playing after 9-11, uh, all-star games, managing and coaching, and all those great events are are, you know, up there in one category because they're different. Uh, and then I think all the firsts, you know, when a guy got his first victory, when a guy got his first hit, first strikeout, first error, first loss, whatever it might be, played in his first game, uh, those were always special to be able to share uh, with so many people. Well, you had said uh, special days being the, you know, certain days that maybe you have that blow up and that you're going to yell a little bit. Is there... Uh, is there one that you think you know really worked? I, I guess where either arguing with an umpire rallied a team, or you know flipping over the the spread uh, worked to to rally a group. Oh, I always like to eat too much. Uh, flipping <laughs> the spread was that generation before mine. Uh, you know, Tommy Lasorda, Dick Williams, that type, that that age group uh, had that in their process, and you know it's all subjective on whether or not uh, something you said resonated enough to affect the play of the game probably not but um you know that was also part of the the game in those days to have fun and and be an orator and and see if you get a guy guys to laugh see if you get them out of that uh, deer in the headlights by you know making their hair stand up uh, on the back of their neck or making them laugh or or making them uh, cry, you know. It, it's um, that that was always a fun, fun part of the game that I think has uh, gone by the wayside. Yeah, you, you don't think that there's enough. I guess emotional wouldn't be the right word, but uh, you know, mentally trying to rile guys up in some different ways and pushing the right buttons. Well, I don't think you do it in a group form anymore, mainly because um, you know most clubhouses are made up of uh, multilingual players and uh you know unless you're going to have a, a couple interpreters there getting your message across to everyone in the room i don't think you want to just talk 
to uh, 70% of the room. So, um, you know, most everything that's communicated these days is done in smaller groups and and often even one-on-one. And we're talking again with uh, Bobby Valentine, former uh, Mets manager, longtime manager of Major League Baseball. Is there anything that you see used now commonly strategically within the game, whether it be being so quick to go to the bullpen for, especially in the playoffs or, or shifts, are there any of these things that you wish you had access to or, or used in, uh, when you were managing? Um, not really. I mean, I don't know that anything's so different. Um, you know, I mean, we played shifts and my whole time in, in Japan, um, the one year I came back from Boston, we played shifts. Um, you know, the information's all the same information. I think, I think because we're we're naming things differently, that we actually think that there's different stuff going on. There's nothing different going on except there's a lot more acceptance of a strikeout uh, these days on offense, mm-hmm. and there's a lot less um, need for the starting pitcher to to pitch a long time, but. You know, 1987 is when Dr. Uh, Andrews gave my team the idea of having pitch counts, and that was for 15 pitches an inning, 135 max. But, you know, then I guess some of the guys couldn't multiply during the game, so they cut it short at 100. And um, (laughs) they didn't even understand that uh, today they don't understand that 100 pitches in five innings is much more detrimental than 140 mm-hmm. in nine, but uh, that's a story for another day too. Would you have? Do, do you like seeing uh, managers be so quick to take a starter out? I, and I thought the thought process with Sabathia last night would be go around the lineup once and then be taken out. And Boone was criticized for leaving him in there for what three innings last night. Well, I think when you have quality in the bullpen like you have today, there's really no reason not to go to the guy. Uh, I thought, yeah, if Aaron did anything that he'll regret it, it's that he didn't try to turn that lineup over. It's not necessarily just going to the bullpen uh, because you don't like what you see out of your starter, but when a team like Boston did lines up those right-handed hitters, I think as early as possible you try to have them have at-bats against the right-handed pitcher or have them turn the lineup over so your two left-handers, uh, Britton and then Hap, comes into play also, they be, have, a, uh, have an advantage of pitching the left-handed hitters late in the game. Maybe that Vasquez would have already been out of the game when he hit the home run mm. against Britain if uh, the right-hander had come in the pitch to him earlier. So, you know, those are the things that, you know, maybe they're doing it earlier, but those are the things that were always done probably later in the game only because you didn't have the quality in the bullpen uh, that you have today. You know, I, I wish I had a left-hander and a right-hander that I could count on when I was in Texas. You know, there are a couple years or maybe a couple months that, that I did, but uh, not much more than that. Yeah, I mean, the strategy is just uh, totally flipped on its head, right? Those late 90s Yankees were always praised for getting into the bullpen and beating up on the middle relief, and now everybody coming out of the pen is throwing 98-plus and, and can at least be dominant for one inning. Yeah, and, and that's going to have its shelf life also. Not necessarily because it doesn't play well in the game, but because 
eventually there's going to be a collective thought that, uh, you know, the more innings the bullpen pitches, the less innings the starters pitch. If the starters pitch less, then they make less. And if uh, they're not going to make the money, then the bullpen's going to have to make the money. And uh, I, I don't know that anybody's going to wind up paying $40 million, $50 million, and $60 million for guys to pitch one and two innings a game. Yeah, well, we saw some of that this offseason where the relievers' prices were uh, ticking up uh, quite a bit, and those were the first guys off the board, which certainly wasn't the case uh, in the past. We chat with Bobby, Va- Bobby Valentine right now. Uh, how about Alex Cora? Uh, you know, everything that he did seemed to work out. What'd you think of the move, though, to go to Chris Sale, his game five starter in the eighth inning of a, a still close game? Well, once again, he had that available to him where your high price starting pitcher said, yes, I could pitch in relief. Uh, how could you not use that, that bullet when uh, everyone had criticized and, and the other pitches, pitches in a bullpen were much maligned coming down, coming down the stretch. So, yeah, I think it, when the guy says he can, if you don't, that's, again, one of those things you're going to regret for not doing. I don't think he'd ever would have regretted uh, bringing him in, even if he gave up a couple home runs. Yeah, and Sale was uh, terrific. One, two, three, eighth. And the Red Sox live another day. They'll get the Astros in the ALCS. Um, you know, always like to get get at least some Mets in here. And the Mets, of course, uh, hunting for a general manager right now, Bobby. Is there any direction that you would like to see the Mets go that you think would be best for the organization? Well, not really, um, other than somebody who understands talent when they see it and um, understands a group and how pieces fit into the group when they see it. You know, if they're, if they're just going to do what they've done in the past and think that they're um, going to let the numbers uh, dictate how a player fits with the team or, or who they should get, I think they're going to wind up in trouble again. But if they get somebody who understands uh, the group uh, mentality and understand baseball talent when they see it, I think uh, the next general manager uh, is going to have a really good time being in New York. How tough a spot can it be as a manager, in this case Mickey Calloway, when you don't know who your boss or or GM is going to end up being? Well, I I don't know if it's tough. I guess once a person is hired, if, if you get along with them, then it's all gravy, and if you don't, then, uh, you know, it's time to look for another job. All right, uh, Bobby Valentine, uh, always a pleasure having you on, Bobby. Thanks for sharing your insights. Okay, thanks, Peter. Take care of yourself. One of the great baseball minds and uh, fun to to pick the mind of Bobby Valentine. We'll take a quick break and break down some of what Bobby had to say. Coming up, 800-321-0710. Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710-WOR.